up guys welcome to another episode of gay side stories where the gay shit goes i am your host trillificent thank you so much for joining me for another week as a reminder you guys can listen to this show on pippa apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, soundcloud gaysidestories.com slash shows or wherever you get your podcasts Remember to use the hashtag GaySidePod when you're live tweeting or posting about the show. Thank you to everyone that continues to do that every week. The Gay Side Culture and the audience survey information is in the show notes. So if you want to take a little time to take that survey, again, that link is in the show notes. And the description of what the Gay Side Culture upcoming series is is also in the show notes. Um, the culture series will be beginning in a few weeks, so please send in your audio clips if you haven't already. If I hit you up and you agree to do it, please send that in if you haven't. And if this is your first time hearing about it and you want to participate, then email me, tweet me, send me a message on Instagram, whatever it takes, and we can work it out from there. With that being said, you guys, I am going to be taking a summer hiatus from the show. Um, I know I teased about this probably a few weeks ago, but I just, to be quite honest, I really need a little bit of a break. So I will be doing that. This will be the last episode posted for a little while, but I will be back and that's that, you know, self-care. So with that being said, let's get into this week's episode. So I am here with author Jared D. King. Uh, He has graciously agreed to be a part of the show this week, and I want to thank him for that. Jared, say hi to the people. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be on the show. Uh, I've actually grown to be a fan, so (laughs) I'm excited. Thank you so much. Um, I don't know how we crossed paths, but... Things just happen that are supposed to happen. I've I've learned to accept that. Right. <laughs> People come across and you know, acquaintances and new friends and all of those good things. So I'm glad that it happened. Thank you to Twitter. I don't know how, but shout out to Twitter. It does good mm-hmm. things every now and then. Yeah, every now and then. <laughs> so I'm really excited for you to be on the show because I have a lot of questions about writing and whatnot. And you also have a book that is out so i'm excited to hear about that as well but before we get into all that let's run through uh one of the usual segments and that is the come quick segment i'm gonna come sir oh yeah so first up and i think people probably may have seen this on twitter because i think it was it sparked a little bit of um i don't want to say outrage but People had some opinions, but Glad's movie report finds troubling drop in LGBTQ representation. So Glad did this analysis and says movies from Hollywood's major studios last year had the lowest percentage of lesbian, gay, transgender and bisexual characters since 2012. So gay and transgender media advocacy group Glad said in its annual studio responsibility index that 
of the 109 releases by the seven largest movie studios in 2017, just 14 or 12.8% included LGBTQ characters. Glad called on Hollywood to have 20% of its annual film releases include a gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, or gender fluid character by 2021, rising to 50% of output by 2024. So I'm going to say guess first. How do you feel about this report? I find it really surprising actually that the that the amount of characters that we have has actually dropped down since uh you know a few years ago so you know and i don't really know exactly what the debate has been though um like what what have people what have people been saying because personally i feel like uh i feel like what glad is doing is 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 a good thing to kind of like keep hollywood accountable for Mm -hmm. uh the way that they're portraying our community Mm -hmm. um but I'm just uh, I'm surprised to hear that there really is a debate unless unless it's coming from like, you know, a different some from from a group outside of the LGBT community. So uh, I saw a little bit from both inside and out and it kind of took this tone of, oh, man, they want everything to be gay. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, OK, are we, are we doing this? Are we doing this every time? Every time. It's like. And the thing about it is a lot of times what people, even people within the community, which is sad, feel like the smallest hint of something LGBT counts as full inclusion and representation. For example, this thing that studios and writers and whatnot have been doing by coming out after the fact saying, oh, this character is bisexual or pansexual didn't you know like jk Rowling coming out after the fact oh dumbledore was gay didn't you know and it's like really sis (laughs) he did (laughs) number one (laughs) so this does nothing for us or recently when i don't remember who it was exactly when they came out saying that lando calrissian is pansexual right i heard about that I heard about that as well. And that's one of those. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say, it's one of those things where, again, it's why would we know that if you didn't put it in the movie? My whole thing is, if it's not in the movie, what good does it do? And I've heard people talk about this on their podcast. I know uh, they talked about this on the Megasheen podcast. And I agree. I've heard it on other podcasts as well. But. I'm really racking my brain right now saying what good does it do to our community to say this character is X, Y, Z after the fact and it's not a part of the movie. So you don't see it. Right. I I don't get the afterthought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it kind of reminds me of what we do when we look on like some of our old shows, like, you know how people think that like uh, Velma from Scooby-Doo is like a gay icon or something. Like it's that kind of thing where it's like, it's not really what the character was, but we just kind of, you just kind of throw that on them. But, and that's one thing for us to do, but for, you know, like a, like a director or writer, whoever said that um, to say that after the fact and not actually put that, uh, representation in the movie it kind of it's kind of like a cheap 
it's kind of like a cheap tactic to kind of gain favor with the uh, LGBT community. Agreed. Agreed. So my only um, trepidation, I guess, with this is 50% of all movies. I feel like that's a little bit much. Not saying that I wouldn't like to see it, but I can just see the argument of, I mean, LGBT people only make up what 5% of the population, which I mean, let's be honest. That's the ones who don't mind being out and included. I feel like Mm -hmm. it's higher than that, but go off everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. I just feel like 50% is because I can just see the pushback of 50% of Americans or 50% this is talking about Hollywood specifically. So 50% of Americans are not LGBT, so why would 50% of the movies be? Again, not saying I don't want to see it, not saying that it wouldn't be awesome, but I I feel like that is a little bit of a lofty goal, especially because a lot of times they don't even, they being Hollywood, don't even get the representation right. Mm -hmm. So I would rather see a push of quality along with the quantity versus strictly quantity if that makes sense yeah that definitely makes sense and um well and what year did they say that they wanted that because i know it was like a specific year like like 2020 or 2030 or something like that right so remember like something in the future so so they're calling for 20 percent of the annual film releases to be including one of those characters by 2021 and then they want 50% by 2024. Okay. Okay. I feel like that's yeah. such a short time frame. Like you know to go from is... 20 to 50 in 3 years. <laughs> but you know what? The thing is, I feel like a lot of people on the other side of this conversation already feel like it's 50% anyway. That's so, true. That's true. I feel like once we actually get there, I think it'll either be old and maybe we can get to the point where these characters are not gay first, but they're just gay characters going through the same stuff that everybody else is going through or not. I mean, not even gay, but just LGBTQ, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, you know, I mean, and, and I think, you know, there's also a realization uh, emerging uh, that, a, that a lot of people realize that, you know, you can still be a part of the LGBTQ community and be in a straight relationship. You know, if you're, you know, if you're like a a trans man that's with a woman or, Mm -hmm. you know, something of the sort, you know? So um, I think that more people are, hopefully, I mean, you know, I know that it is is a lofty goal in such a short amount of time, but... um, you know, you gotta, you kind of have to, kind of have to shoot for the stars, I guess, yeah, to get somewhere. I get that. My other concern with that, I guess, is how much of the representation is going to be written by someone from the LGBTQ community. How much is it going to be starring? Because it's easy for Hollywood to say, "Oh, look, we're doing representation, and all of the gay characters in a movie are actually straight." actors Mm. or straight actors playing transgender roles so i'm just 
again, I feel like there's there are more facets to the push and the argument than just strictly representation. And I wonder if the representation also includes, again, the behind the camera type things, or is it strictly in front of the camera? Yeah, that's true. It does sound from the way it sounds, it does sound like it's more in front of the camera, but mm-hmm. behind the scenes is just as important as well. Uh, yeah, because I think it's very important for us to be in control of the tale for us. Right. Because, so. again, because that's when you, when I feel like, and I could be wrong, maybe it's my opinion or whatever, I feel like when we are not included in the writer's room or when we're not allowed to be behind the camera or all of those things, that's when it kind of goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Not always. There are some examples and times when it's good and we feel good. We feel represented, but even then it's, then you have to look at the race aspect. There's so many aspects to it. So I just, I wonder because it, again, it could be easy for Hollywood to say, look, we did all of these movies and they have characters and then every one of them is white. Right. Or something of that. So I just right. wonder about the nuance of this push. Do we get into the nitty gritty and say, okay, we want representation for the community, but we want black trans women to have positive representation and we want Latino or Latinx bisexual people to have positive representation you know what I mean we want Mm -hmm. gay Asian men and women to have representation and it's not just a as long as it's LGBT it's fine and then all of them are white right (laughs) right because then we get to another issue exactly exactly so then it's a I feel like I don't want to get into this thing where it's we're pushing for one thing and then it's a constant effort upon effort upon effort because instead of pushing for a more total view of representation is just a, a generic push and I feel like at, whenever there's a generic push in anything it's always going to default back to white mm-hmm. or it's going to default back to men mm-hmm. so Hopefully the inner workings of that report and the push and the accountability uh, accountability will be inclusive. Yeah. Because it's very, go ahead. Yeah. No, I think that it's also important. Like, you know, I was, uh, that's a good point that you make. And I don't remember them even mentioning race as a part of that conversation. And so, you know, if anybody listening is a part of GLAD or if anybody wants to write a letter or something and let them know, like tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, it has to be about everybody. You know, this is a good thing, but, you know, let's make sure we're inclusive. You know, just I don't know. I think I think it's important to to say those things beforehand, before we get into the arguing stage, you know. Agreed. So. Agreed. So we just don't want to get into a situation where it's we got what we wanted. What are y'all complaining about? And all of the black and brown people are like, we are nowhere to be seen. Right. (laughs) And if we are, it's few and far in between and we're token characters and we're sidekicks and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But 
I will say I'm glad that Glad does this because <laughs> it is important and Hollywood, as you can see, if they're not, it seems like if you don't keep your neck, I mean, keep your foot constantly on people's neck, then they will regret, regret, what am I saying? Then <laughs> they will, I know what you're saying. Yeah. They'll go back to the defaults and leave people high and dry. Like we have to keep our foot on their necks. Yeah. So speaking of keeping a foot on a neck, <laughs> the next article says even anti-gay EU nations must now recognize same sex couples. So the European Court of Justice has determined that all member states must recognize the rights of same sex spouses, even in countries where same sex marriage is not legal. The ruling came about after Romanian officials refused to grant residency to Clairborne Hamilton, an American who married his Romanian partner, Adrian Coleman, in Brussels in 2010. Oh, this is kind of old. Hmm. So the court's decision stated that while EU countries may keep, quote unquote, the freedom, whether or not to authorize marriage between persons of the same sex, they may not obstruct the freedom of an EU citizen by refusing to grant his same-sex spouse a national of a country that is not an EU member state a derived right of resident in their territory. The majority of EU nations have marriage equality. Huh. Interesting. America. <laughs> I mean, I know we have it, but America. Hmm. <laughs> but... <laughs> But some offer civil unions with equivalent or limited rights. In addition to Romania, other EU countries that have no legislation recognizing same-sex unions or marriages include Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, Slovakia, and Bulgaria. So I thought that this was really interesting because it's like a win to a fault. Because it's like they're saying, okay, you can't deny these couples um, of their, I guess, marriage rights. If one of the partners is a native of that country, but you can still refuse to recognize marriage of, I guess, people that live there, if that makes sense. So it's like, you don't Uh, have to, you don't have to recognize same-sex marriage in your country. You don't have to make it legal. Right. But if but if a resident, if they come in married, then you do have to recognize it. Right. I I feel like it's it's kind of weird, you know what I mean? Even the way that the article reads was kind of weird and a little bit hard to follow. But I mean, it's yeah, no. It's I mean, the European I, I, Union, so I'm not surprised. And we're American. We'd be like, America, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even if you don't realize you're doing it sometimes. However, I think I do think it's interesting. But then I, oh, man, I wonder what, while it is good, I wonder what kind of position that puts the couples in, you know. I wonder if that mm-hmm. kind of puts a target on their back. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, it's good, but in practice, how much of a target are you painting on your back when you go into a country that is not really accepting of your relationship? Right. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely see it mostly as a positive and as a step in the right direction. And I think that, you know, this could be a way for those other countries to experience what it's like to actually, you know, cater to all types of relationships. And then maybe the people of those countries could uh, adopt the same, uh, the same rules, you know, so that it would just be a, uh, it would just, it would just be a normal thing for the, for the residents of of that country as well. Yeah, I agree. I just, I almost feel like it's a missed opportunity by the EU to say, y'all need to get with the times. (laughs) If most (laughs) of us accept same sex marriage, then you little outlying countries, y'all need to get with the, get with the program, get with the winning team, ho. (laughs) But instead they're just like, look, okay. Now I know they came to XYZ country and got married and now they moving back and you don't like it, but you're just going to have to accept it. So it feels like a band aid instead Mm -hmm. of some Neosporin and with the band aid, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, and I don't really know how their government operates. Um, If it's, I mean, if it was similar to like a U.S. Supreme Court saying everybody's, everybody gets gay marriage now, (laughs) you know, I mean, because when we, when, when we were going through the process in our country, it was kind of like that in the first place, because you could get married in one state and then depending on another state's laws, you may be accepted, but they may not be married. You know, it was some, some kind of weirdness. Um, I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, well, this only applies to nations that are a part of the European Union. Okay. And then I think it just, it's the specific ruling because here they ruled, okay, all marriage or same sex marriage is legal, but they Mm could have ruled something similar where it's like, if you get married in, I can't think of any, any of any states that ha, I don't know. Let's just say okay. you get married in Maine, and then one of the one of the partners was a native Texan, so y'all moved back to Texas. So now Texas, you have to mar- you have to recognize that marriage, even if it's not legal in your right. state. Versus saying it's legal everywhere everybody has to get with the program i think that's the difference in the rulings Mm -hmm. and that's why i'm saying it's it feels like a missed opportunity i don't know about the power of the eu it just feels like a missed opportunity where they could have said if you are part of the eu same-sex marriage is legal get with it or your membership is going to be in jeopardy Mm. and instead it's kind of like uh i mean you don't have to marry people in your country if you don't want to, but if they get married somewhere else and come back, it's legal. You know, like it's a step right. in the right direction, but it could have been a leap. Right, right. No, I agree. I understand. So I hear you on that one. I don't know. But again, we're moving <laughs> in the right direction. But I, this article, I wanted to highlight it not only because it is a positive, but also as a reminder to people that. LGBT rights are not as far along as a lot of people think they are. Now, don't get me wrong. We've made a lot of headway. We have 
had a lot of victories, but depending on where in the world you are, there's still a lot to fight for to be on equal footing with heterosexual people. To even just exist sometimes, depending on what country. Yeah, and then it gets worse from there, you know, because there's a lot of countries where it's illegal. I just read an article on on another episode where they were talking about in India and hetero, I mean hetero, homosexual sex in India is illegal still. Okay, wow. So there's countries where it's illegal. There's countries where it's punishable by death. So mm-hmm. I know, especially. I'm surprised at India though, because I didn't they have like a gay prince or something? <laughs> Did they? Like, I could have sworn they had like a gay prince in India or something. I don't know. I have to go look that up, but I'm yeah. almost positive. And so I'm surprised to hear that. But it may be one of those things where they don't make it illegal to be gay, but right. to have gay sex. Yeah. Because yeah. from what I read in that article, it was they were saying specifically homosexual sex. Okay, is okay. illegal. So it's like you can be gay all you want to, but don't you get out here and and, and use your genitals, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's like, well, what's what's? You almost like, like, well, what's the point? <laughs> really? What's the, what's the point? <laughs> but I get it. So Got again, it. step in a, in the right direction, but hopefully we can continue to push. And it's and it's not like kind of how it feels in America where once gay marriage was legalized a lot of people in the fight i guess were like oh we won it's all good it's all done and now we're dealing with who we have in the white house and they are rolling back any and everything that they can right and (sighs) i don't know so (laughs) gotta hope for the best gotta hope for the best yeah, I mean that's all you can do. It's it's really kind of sad what's going on right now. It really is. You just would you would think that in 2018 things would be so far along. You would think that Republicans would not still be trying to fight basic human rights, but right. You can't put. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, we're not even in a lot of states. We're not even a what a protected considered a protected class as far as uh jobs and stuff are concerned and you know exactly exactly there's a lot of other stuff that needs to be done or redone because like i said their role it's there are some places where it, we had a lot of protections and rights and they're trying to roll it back and yep. there are places that are doing well and there are other places that are like good yeah so shout out to the eu for making some strides hopefully they continue to do that and Maybe in sometime in the future they will step up and say, "Okay, if you are in the EU, same-sex marriage has to be legal in your country, or you have to get out." I would like to see that, but you never know. Because I would too. <laughs> you know, you politics and economics and all of that stuff it plays a huge role in everything. It's tough. It is tough. It's tough enough trying to get a lot, a lot of people to go with you to the movies somewhere. So imagine Ooh. trying to get, <laughs> Say that. you know, imagine trying to get whole countries together. Mm. Jeez. Unless it's the Avengers. Cause mm. right. Everybody. We will get together. For <laughs> Everybody wants to go to that. <laughs> okay. So let's transition on to the main topic. So 
that I can learn from you and soak up some of your knowledge. So we're going to talk about writing because you are an author and I'm just I'm very curious about so many things. So first up, I want to talk about representation in the writing community. Okay. I wanted to get your thoughts on it and I also wanted to know what you feel is lacking as far as representation. All right. Well, I mean, as far as the writers are concerned, I think there are plenty of us out there. So um, I think, you know, a lot of times it's just hard for us to really get noticed or get seen as authors. Um, But, you know, I think with the advent of, you know, like Amazon uh, publishing, you know, all the self-publishing stuff that we have, it's a lot Uh, easier these days to kind of get out there and kind of build your own brand and make a way for yourself if you're not necessarily somebody whom you know agents and publishers would immediately pick up Um, Mm -hmm. now as far as representation within you know within fiction or or you know within writing or uh or in the media in general i guess it kind of comes down to that um you know there are there are some things that that are that I think are missing. Uh, we have a lot of fiction and nonfiction that's about slavery or civil rights. Um, we have even in black gay fiction, we have a lot of fiction that is a, that kind of focuses on sex and relationships. Mm-hmm. And while I don't think there's anything wrong with any of those areas, and I think that we definitely need all different, all of those types of stories. I think we, we're, I know that we're capable of more, uh, of more, you know, I think, I know that we have a bigger range to show and I think the world needs to know that, you know? Um, I also think, you know, you need a proper handling of black and or LGBTQ characters so that they're not, you know, tokens or stereotypes, you know, we can, I don't know if you've heard of like the, the kill your gays trope. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. (laughs) So basically it's like, you know, you get a, uh, you put a gay character in amongst your cast or something. And once they serve their purpose, they're kind of killed off by the villain or, or whatever, or they're, you know, Mm -hmm. so they're there for the purpose of, showing diversity but then it's like okay we're, we're done with we're done with them and then let's move on with the regular story you know what i'm right. saying so, so they serve for diversity but they don't have a purpose in the actual story right Got right it. and um that's fucked up yeah <laughs> it's like one of those things you know so there there are a lot of different uh ways that we could kind of get around that um one of the things that I had even talked about it in even in my own podcast I do uh, was the descriptions of characters of color in, in books mm-hmm. where, you know, you'll be reading along and you'll have this idea that, you know, the main character is white and uh, you get all of these fancy descriptions of different characters. And then all of a sudden, they'll describe the person on the bus as, you know, she was a black woman, da 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 Or, you know, it's just, it just kind of 
shows that instead of instead of describing this person the same way you describe all of your other characters, you just say she's black, or you know, or he's, or you had you know a couple a couple of black kids were you know running down the street, and you know that's kind of how you describe that scene. It's very shorthand, and it kind of shows other characters as I don't know deviations from uh, from the from the standard, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that I try to look out for. Um, I think, you know, there, you know, it, it, I'm not, I'm not going to be super strict about this because I realize that there are sometimes when you do need to kind of give a shorthand description for certain characters. But I think that there is a better way to kind of treat um, characters of color in in books that are majority one race or the other. You know. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and oh, and lastly, I think, uh, you know, we should have stories that don't always end tragically for LGBTQ Ooh, characters. Say that. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's room for any kind of ending that, that you want, but um, many times just because you're, you're gay or something, it means it's going to end badly for you. You know, you're going to end up alone. You're going to end up dying of AIDS or something like that. And that's the message that gets sent. And that's not the only message that we should be sending. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay. So you made a lot of interesting points and I'm curious now about the goal of your own writing. So you speak on that a little bit. Uh, my goal in writing is really to give people like us a way of, kind of escaping the confines of our society and really enjoying the fullness of who we are. Um, I think we do a lot of compromising and dumbing down just to fit in. Um, even those of us who are out. Uh, but I think I just want us all to feel heard, seen and loved and to know that it's possible to feel that way in real life. If we keep fighting for it, um, you know, I th- so I think that when you, when you read, one of my stories, you get, you get the the feeling that uh, that you belong or that you are seen, you're accepted, even if just for a few minutes. Um, so that's really that's really kind of what I'm trying to give people with my writing, um, on, on top of <laughs> on top of being entertaining. You know, I really want it to be entertaining first, uh, but I mean, I think that that. Um, that other side is definitely uh, a goal for me. Okay. That's interesting. Interesting. So let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about your actual writing. Okay. So what's your writing style? Hmm. My writing style, do you mean like genre or do you mean like, but like, what do you, how do you mean? The genre, um, the point of view, things of that nature. Like okay. what what's what does a Jared King story look like? Basically? Uh well, yeah. Uh typically my stories are gonna be um something weird is gonna be happening in my story. <laughs> <laughs> so whether it's fantasy or sci fi, you know, it might it might be something that seems like a normal drama but um 
you know, something's going to happen that kind of turns everything on its head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of my style. I kind of, uh, I, I use third person perspective in, well, I, I use third person perspective for my first novel, Pangea, Unsettled Land. And um, uh, the book that I'm currently writing is in first person. So I'm trying to switch it up. Okay. Um, Come on. But yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to give you some, trying to give you some variety, trying to give, <laughs> give you some different perspectives and trying to branch out and broaden my horizons as well. So, okay. but yeah, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, I always, I always try to make it engaging and make it, you know, thrilling, you know, um, I right. think, I think that I, I want, I want to, I want my books to be page turners. So, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So what's your writing process like? I typically will, well, first of all, I mean, I always, I just make sure that I have my, I write down any idea, whether it is on Evernote or whether it's on a piece of paper. Every time I get an idea, I make sure I write it down or record my voice saying it. Um, and, you know, it's funny because it's like 99% of the time I never go back to those ideas. And it's <laughs> like sometimes something will just spark in my head and I'll just, I'll start riffing off of that, you know, kind of writing a little bit and then it all kind of comes to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, my process really is to to start off with that. Get Once I get that inspiration or idea, then the next thing is to outline it a little bit. I mean, my a lot of people try to stay in one of these two camps, which is like a, a plotter, which is where you outline everything, every scene and all the characters and stuff. And then you have people they call like pantsers, which is basically you fly by the seat of your pants when you're writing. You don't know what's going to come. You just go to a blank page and you just start writing. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm more in between. So I'll plan my, uh, I'll plan everything. I think maybe that is more of a uh, confidence thing just so I feel like, okay, going into this, I know what's going to happen. But once I get into the story, it's like stuff starts changing all the time. I have to go back and change my, my outline. So, yeah, so I'm very fluid like that, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess that's my, that's my writing process in a nutshell. I'll get it down. And then, of course, you go into once you get into publishing, you know, that's a whole different process there. But <laughs> Right. So how do you keep the details straight when you're more fluid? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think, I think, uh, well, you mean, you mean as far as the plot goes, as far as the plot details or, uh, I mean, plot details and minor details, because okay. I know like a lot of times people can go, you can go back and you can tell sometimes in a book or even maybe a book series, you can tell where, the author changed their mind about something or they got a detail wrong and mm. those avid readers would be like, well, it was like this on page four and then I get to page 260 and it's this. So what's the, <laughs> what is the truth? Oprah gift, you know? <laughs> so I'm just wonder 
if you don't plan every little thing out, which I get that people can do that, but I can't even wrap my brain around that right now. <laughs> so if you're more fluid with it, then how do you keep the details straight in your head or in your writing? You know, the thing about writing is that you, you can't really keep them all straight mm-hmm. on the first draft, you know? So the thing is to just write the first draft without even thinking about keeping all the details together just get it all out. Um, don't worry about how badly it's formatted or worded or whatever. Um, the details, you can you can kind of bring them all together once you go into editing. You can read over what you wrote. And personally, I mean, I think I'm actually, a li- I have a little bit more skill maybe than others as far as that is concerned, kind of going back and, you know, remembering what I had written, you know, 10 chapters ago and saying, okay, well, it needs to be like this because I wrote it like this or whatever, or even in editing, when I go back and I make a note, like, okay, I need to make sure that this happens here so that it doesn't just pop up out of nowhere later on. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I personally have, have that kind of a skill, just the way that my brain works. But a lot of times people will have to, um, rely on an editor or rely on um, I forget what they call they have somebody who specifically looks for it they call them like a continuity editor or something and um, that's somebody that you can go that will check in on those specific details uh, to make sure that they're consistent to make sure that you know you don't have any character name changes towards the end of the book um, that you described something one way that you did later you know that kind of thing so that's there there are ways around that okay so you spoke on editing a bit and the next thing that i wanted to talk about is the road to getting published so does the editing for you specifically fall separately from publishing or is it part of that process it's uh definitely a part of that process um I feel like if I didn't want to publish, I wouldn't edit. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's definitely a part of the process. Um, well, the reason why I ask that, because I'm, I'm wondering if it's like a thing where you edit it to the best of your ability beforehand and then you start doing publishing or if it's just ingrained in the actual process. So it's like once you're done, then it's like, OK, I'm going towards publishing, knowing that the editing will be part of that process. OK, um, yeah, no, I would. My my thing is, I think once you once you're on the road to uh, publishing, you are you're looking you're looking at doing the editing yourself at least first. Um, whether you're going the traditional publishing route or you're self-publishing, you want to make sure that you have your best version uh, to give out. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll do some self-editing, then you'll you know you'll send it out to beta readers to get some ideas so these are like close friends and stuff that uh will read your book and let you know you know hey this is this isn't good or this works for me or i need more of this you know that kind of thing and then you'll go back and edit it again Mm -hmm. um or do your rewrites or whatever uh and then from there i i would i would you know it, it doesn't necessarily have to follow the same path but i would go to a more professional editor uh, where you pay somebody to kind of go go through it, let you know what needs to be changed. Um, you might do this two, 
or three times um, before getting to that uh, publish publishable point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once once you feel that it is at a point where uh, where there's not there's not much that needs to be changed, where you're where you're happy with it, then you know if you're doing a self-publishing thing, then you just you know you you get all the uh, well you have to get like a cover. You got to get your IS. Well, you don't have to get your ISBNs, but you you can. I I, I do, um, you know. And then you you self-publish it on Amazon or Smashwords or whatever, um, and pu- push that out to people. Uh, traditional is a little bit harder to get your book out to people because it requires pleasing. It requires going through gatekeepers. Mm. So you have to you have to buy the Writer's Digest uh, book to get all the different agents that are that are open to submissions, uh, and then you have to see exactly what their submission guidelines are. You have to go to each of those agents' websites and see what their guidelines are, and then you have to write a letter to that specific. It's like it's a whole thing, <laughs> right? And then you write those letters and then you send them out and then you won't hear back from them for weeks. Some of them you won't ever hear back from. Most of them you'll get back a form letter saying they hate your book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not like that, but you know, I'm just, I'm exaggerating. Yeah. Just Um, a rejection. Yeah. They'll they'll give you, they'll give you rejection. If you're lucky, they'll give you a personalized rejection to tell you what needs work. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're really lucky, they'll ask you for a few chapters or a full manuscript. And, um, then you can move on from there. But it's, it's, it's so much harder because once, because you're sending out those letters, but the people who get the letters first aren't necessarily the agents who are looking for that. They have interns and stuff kind of sifting through all of the, uh, all of the submissions that they get. And, you know, they'll put you in a pile somewhere and it's really, you're really kind of leaving it up to chance. Um, so, I mean, that's that's why I self-publish, because um, mm-hmm. I would rather just bypass all of that. But you still have to make sure that you have a high-quality product um, at the end of the day, because you don't want people to look at it, and uh, you want you want people to look at it and think that it is on the same level as a traditionally published book. So, so that just sparked a random question in my head. Do you find that there's a little bit of a stigma of self-published books versus traditionally published books? Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely is. Um, You know, there's a sense of authority and prestige that comes along with traditional publishing. Um, When you have that imprint, on your on the spine of your book that says like penguin or you know any of those publishing companies any of those big publishing companies right then people know you're legit and people know you know this uh this is going to be you know a good book or at least that's the impression that they get um ooh, we can talk about how many crappy books anyway go ahead <laughs> right go ahead, go right ahead. even with traditional <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh but yeah with independent publishing with self-publishing um, you know, there's there's this idea that you just wrote a book real quick and you put it out there without any editing, without any uh, serious attention to 
the cover. I mean, I, I see a lot of self-published covers that are just not good. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that may be, that may be because, you know, you didn't have a lot of money to do, to do a professional cover. Um, that may just be a lack of knowledge. It may just be because you're not trying to build a business out of this. And, you know, the people who were going to read your book really don't care about the cover. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it, there, there's a whole, there's a lot. Well, let me, let me, let me jump back. There is a range of uh, professionalism that comes with uh, self-published that you don't get in uh, traditionally published books, where you know, because traditionally published books are all going to meet a certain standard, whereas it's kind of more of a free for all for self-published. Hmm. So that's where I think the stigma comes from. It's like, oh, you're self-published. Well, you know, I've read so and so, and that was, you know, that was a piece of crap. So I don't know, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's kind of like, well, anybody can do it. So it's they the stigma is it's not really an accomplishment because anyone can do it. Right. I guess. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So I want to talk a little bit about your education of all of this. So how did you learn about publishing? I hear, and I'm guessing I could be wrong. It sounds like some trial and error as far as self publishing versus traditional publishing, but I'm just curious about the, how you accumulated the knowledge that you have now. I, um, I accumulated the knowledge after writing my first book, I was of the mind that I was going to get published, you know, with one of the big five publishers, you know, and I was just, you know, it was going to be great. I was going to have, you know, a black gay fantasy and it was going to be, you know, because you don't see that that often. Mm Mm-hmm in traditional publishing. Um, and I was like, all right, so I'm going to get this done. It's going to be published. Da, da, da. But it didn't happen that way. I sent out so many letters, uh, query letters to agents, trying to get an agent. Uh, I didn't get any positive response back. Um, so, I mean, really going through that process is where I learned all of this from. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a work friend who had mentioned self-publishing to me and you know it kind of clicked in my head it was like okay so why am I going for the traditional publishing route and I you know once I kind of self-reflected it was really more for the prestige of it all to be you know deemed an author by uh by the big you know heads of the of the writer community would um would be like a mark of uh acceptance yeah but when you get right down to it what you know what i want to do is just i just want to write and i want to uh get paid for it make hopefully make a living off of it at some point and i don't really need to be picked by anybody you know in order in order for that to happen um so yeah, I mean that that whole that whole process is really where I gained all of the knowledge mm-hmm. from it. Um, so yeah. how did you go about learning the specifics of self-publishing? Like, was it just 
systemary Google or was there like a book? I mean, you don't have to say the specific things. I'm just curious right. about the route that you chose. Yeah, um, it was or a lot stumbled of Googling. across maybe. Yeah, it was a lot of Googling. I listened to a lot of podcasting podcasts uh, about self-publishing, um, what you needed to do as far as growing an author platform, um, you know, what you needed to do to, to reach readers, what you need to do to maintain their interest and all that stuff. So it was it was a combination of Google watching, well, not watching, but more listening to podcasts and stuff. There are a lot of, there's a lot of resources out there that are, um, aimed at helping self-published authors. Come on, resources! I need to. I need to stumble across to myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all of this is interesting, and I'm I'm liking what I'm hearing. So okay. before we talk about, or rather, before you talk about your first book, what advice do you have for other aspiring LGBT plus writers my advice would be write what you i mean it's like it's you hear it all the time but write what you want to see write the book that you want to read um there is so much space in the lgbtq section of writing that uh we just have not seen there's so much there's so much blank space there for for people to uh kind of write their story or or write um a fictional story uh so just just write what you write what you want and also you know if you want to do something and maybe this goes towards creatives in general if there's something that you want to do that's like special in your life you have to work on it every day um i find it hard to to even start sometimes <laughs> mm-hmm. so i've i've kind of i kind of do this thing i call it like a five minute mandate where i just you just force yourself to work on your project for like just five minutes and i feel like if it's truly your passion and you've got nothing you know super serious going on in your life that's going to distract you then uh you know you'll end up spending much more time on it than expected so if you just sit down and write for five minutes or even if you're just sitting down and thinking about your book, thinking about the story and looking at a blank page for five minutes and, you know, you might end up spending 10, 20, 30 minutes to an hour uh, working on your project. And that's, um, that's all you, that's all you need to do a little bit every day. All right. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. So your first book, Pangea Unsettled Land is a, how would you describe it before we you, you get into the specifics? Like, what's the genre and the characterization yeah. of it? Yeah, it's a um, it's a fantasy. Uh, it would be kind of like it's kind of like a mix between old and new kind of fantasy. So you've got some modernized. Uh, things going on in there but you have some you have like you know like a queen and knights and all that stuff that you would uh typically see in like one of those medieval types of fantasies Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a mix of both um character wise uh i have a very diverse cast 
I would like to say. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I have a black gay main character uh, who is, he's like a noble, he's a college student. Um, I have a warrior who is another black gay man. He's, um, he's another, he's like the, the fighter of the, of the group. Um, I have the main character's best friend, Gisela, who is a, uh, who is a Latina. And, um, yeah, you know, I have the queen and her sister. They're both, they're, they're white. I have, uh, you know, an Asian president in one of the other countries that's in, the, you know, so there's a nice, I, I, I tried to include a lot of people in here, but I didn't want to bang people over the head with it either. I mean, those are really descriptors that are just kind of slit that, that just kind of slide into the details of the story. So once, once you know who they are, it's really, it really doesn't make too much of a difference, but it means a lot to people who want to kind of see themselves in the story. Right. As we spoke about earlier, as far as representation in the media. So Mm -hmm. to wrap things up, why don't you give a synopsis of the book? That way people can get an idea of it and we can go from there. Cool, cool, cool. So Pangea is about a young college student who goes with his best friend and a handsome warrior to find out the secrets of an ancient mythical sword that's said to have brought magic to the world. Uh, what they find out pits them against elemental spirits, mythical creatures, and the queen who wants all the power in the world. So that's the gist of the story there. Um, ooh, ooh, la la. This sounds, <laughs> it sounds right up my alley. I did buy the book, and I had oh, plans you. of reading it, but this week has just been... This week was like, oh, you have, you want to do things for yourself? No. I was like, (laughs) oh, okay, uh, sure. So before we close this part of the show out, I wanted to, I guess, thank you because it's, number one, for me, it's been kind of hard to find these types of books. I know they exist, but it just sometimes it's hard to find the kind that you want because you can look for LGBT books and a lot of it will still be that throwaway character type thing that you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And it sometimes it can be hard to find where that character is the central character. Right. So I'm glad that we stumbled across each other on Twitter for that reason, but also because in the past I've, written and it's not about me but the reason why I'm bringing this up is because just what you said about working on your craft every day and kind of just do it it's so funny that you say that because last night I was FaceTiming with a friend who I've known for God so many years and just out of the blue he was like um so what's going on with your writing and I was like um well see what had happened was (laughs) you know so i just thought it was interesting that it's like okay i'm getting ready to do this show tomorrow with this author and i have all these questions and then here you come tugging at my wig (laughs) you know so um i'm glad that you were I'm glad that you were willing to come on the show and be candid. I didn't want to get too, too far into the details 
because I don't want people to, and when I say people, man, I'm talking about myself, <laughs> to forget that everyone's journey is different. And so sometimes I feel like people get so stuck in wanting to know the details of exactly how did you do it? What step did you take that you try to emulate someone else's journey versus getting the generic knowledge or just getting the the bug to get the knowledge for yourself and doing it and blazing your own path and and living your own journey if that mm-hmm. makes sense yeah 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 totally totally and i thank you so much for having me on the show um you know and i and i completely understand you know everybody has their own way to get there and that's one of the things that i had learned as well i'm like trying to do all this like social media stuff and it's just not it is not me at all like i just get, <laughs> it's so funny like I, I so i learned like in my own way to figure out like okay let me leave that alone let me just stick to writing let me stick to what i do mm-hmm. and let me let all that follow through but some people may find another a different way so okay one more question before we end this so how do you how do you promote um i promote by I promote by, you know, just going to different blogs, reviewers and stuff. Um, Once I have the book basically done, I'll set a future release date and then I'll leave some time to get some reviews in. So that way, you know, a lot of people who would be interested in my book would, um, would be able to see that this is a good book or whatever. So, you know, reaching out to blogs, reaching out to other reviewers, reaching out to, you know, people that I've come and con- come into contact with, um, you know, you kind of have to use other influencers. Um, and so, and then you also have to maintain, like if you have like a mailing list, I've heard that that is like the best thing to do. So I have a mailing list on my website. So, you know, once I, throw out something new like I just gave out my um I have a collection of two short stories uh that I call survival stories which they're kind of like horror stories but um you know I put that I gave that out to my email list uh and you know you do that you have a bunch of people who are eager and and you know and in it to kind of grab uh any content that you put out there so you know with the next book I'm like I'll send that out to people and, you know, hopefully I'll be getting some more sales with that than I did with the first book. Okay. That's interesting. Oh, so much to learn. So much to do. <laughs> so, little, so little energy. Oh, so little energy. <laughs> okay. But you know what? Don't, don't, don't look at, don't look at the big picture. Just, just take your little step. You know, that's, okay. that's another thing that I always have to keep in mind. It's like, don't look at the mountain. Just, just start climbing. <laughs> All right. Baby steps, baby steps. Right. Got it. Okay. So that's going to wrap up the main topic for this show. So let's switch gears again and end things with the queer query. Question. So first question, what is happiness to you? Happiness to me is progress. You know, okay. I that's that's what I've noticed uh, not too long ago, actually. It's kind of something that I recently came to, like, I am at my best when I am making progress or moving towards something. 
Um, and so that's kind of how I learned. When I hear people, I used to hear people say, be in love with the journey, not the goal. And I'd be like, well, like, what does that mean? Because right now this is hard. <laughs> right. The journey is trash. And I kind of I kind of just want the, you know, the big, I, I just want to pile some money at the end of the rainbow, you know? Right. Um, but learning that, you know, the progress, once I'm in it, once I am moving, once I'm doing like doing an interview like this, um, or, you know, doing my own interviews on YouTube or doing my writing and stuff like that and kind of moving and that's that's where I'm happiest. So the progress, the the uh the journey is where I'm happiest. Okay. Um, I would say for me happiness is happiness is probably seeing the people closest to me be happy especially when if we've known each other long enough or just are close enough even if we haven't known each other that long that I see and experience the adversity that you go through through life to see you come out of that and be genuinely happy like I, I can think of a, a number of my friends that when we met or over the course of our friendship, they were going through it. Woo! The ghetto! <laughs> and now to see them happy with, you know, mates or whatever it is and or or uh, um, as far as work, employment or just chasing their dreams, their creative endeavors, starting to get some traction. It's just it makes me happy to see people close to me be happy. All right. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> see guys, I am not one. Of, I, I, I feel things. I have feelings <laughs> and emotion. I'm not like just, you know, a bucket of surly trash. <laughs> I don't wear my heart on my sleeve, but I have a heart. And it's like, it likes to chill most of the time. But anyway, <laughs> next question. If you had a weekend with no technology, and that means no phone, no computer, no tablet, all of that, what three things would you want to have with you? Okay, so I thought about this, and I was like, okay, so obviously, and you might, this might be like, a, I don't know if this is a cop-out, but I would definitely take like a pen and some paper, at least just to write down my thoughts because you know that's that's one of my outlets mm -hmm. um the third thing i couldn't i was kind of stuck on the third thing uh if i couldn't have my phone <laughs> yeah. i'm like okay what else can i do um i don't know uh i guess some coffee <laughs> come on coffee. that's all i need i need a pen paper and some coffee and i'm good okay <laughs> so I said, I took the, even though I came up with the question, I took it literal. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, definitely uh, sustenance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, don't put me anywhere. I was like, I have no technology and I also have no food. Help, please. God. So <laughs> definitely nourishment. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely would want my favorite book so that I could read through that over and over again and I'm actually going to piggyback on you and I, I would want you know pen and paper 
to be able to write. I don't know what I would write. I don't know if I would write a novel or if it would just be a diary or if I would just, if it's just a collection of random thoughts and then you never know the next great idea somewhere hidden in it. But I definitely feel like I would just be writing something. Mm -hmm. So let me read, let me write and let me eat (laughs) and I'll be (laughs) good. What book would you take? Um, do you ooh. have a, do you have a favorite? Uh, I I have a couple of favorites, but I think in that instance, I probably would take uh, a book called Life Expectancy by Dean Koontz. Okay, it's such a weird book. <laughs> it's so <laughs> weird, and I think that's why I love it. Like I don't even know if it's a good book, but it's just so weird. <laughs> it has these weird twists and turns that it's just like what is happening in this book and I just love it so like I think it's it's one of those books where you read it once a year it's like mm, here's it's time for my annual reading <laughs> almost kind of like Harry Potter or something like you know I like okay. read through Harry Potter probably once every two years I read through um, the True Blood books actually I, I need to do I haven't done that in a while I need to do that but that book is is one of the ones I just read over and over and over again. And really? every time I read it, I'm like, "What the f- what the hell was he thinking when he wrote this book?" <laughs> and it's just, it's weird to me, you know. Someone else may read it and be like, "Okay, you've given it a, a lot," but it's weird to me, and I like it. Okay, so that yeah, you know, book. it's it's funny. I don't I don't think I've ever. Well, let me take that. But well, I don't reread books. It's weird, like. I kind of do that with movies too. It's like once I watch it, like I'm done. <laughs> oh no, I I, but it I will with rewatch a movie over and over and over again, <laughs> and I'll reread a book. Yeah. All right. Speaking that's cool. of, do you? Okay, this is a bonus question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's your? What is your favorite book? Do you have one? I have one of my favorite books. Okay, so I will say. I loved um, New England White by Stephen L. Carter. Okay. And it's definitely one of my favorite books. It's about a uh, college professor's wife who is trying to, I'm trying to remember. It was like some mystery. She's trying to figure out, uh, I, I think somebody killed somebody. She's trying to figure out who it was or something. You know, this, but this is, this has like black characters in it. She's a black woman. And there's a lot, there's a lot of that commentary that goes into it. That just really made the mystery genre so much deeper for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one that I would recommend another one. I have like, okay, so let me just give you two more real quick. I'm not going to take everybody's time, (laughs) (laughs) but another one that I love was cloud Atlas, which was, that was made into a movie. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. loved it because it had like so many different genres in there and it was all kind of connected. And then the last one I would say would be Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, which um, by Susanna Clark. And that I think was made into like a BBC series, but that's like a fantasy, but it was like super long and it had footnotes and everything. So it was like, if you're reading this, it's like reading it. It was like reading a textbook. It didn't read like a textbook, but it looked like a textbook. So it could be really um, intimidating to to jump into. But 
you know, reading, it was a really interesting and there were a lot of little side stories and stuff in there. Um, so I would recommend that to somebody who loves fantasy, but is interested in a different kind of fantasy. You know, it's, it, it's different. I will say that. Okay. I think we kind of gravitate towards those same general things. We just maybe not the same exact things. Cause I mm-hmm. like fantasy. I like sci-fi all that kind of stuff like i can read other kind of books i I read thrillers like life expectancy is a thriller mm. um but i i feel like all of the fantasy adventure type stuff that i like i only or mostly consume through movies mm-hmm. so i've been trying to read more books like that but i've been trying to read more in general because i just fell off so hard it's like I love to read, but it's just like I don't know. I wish I could. I I wish I could read and still do other things at the same time, right? Because then right. I would always be reading. We could do audio books too. Yeah, that's kind of kind of, but <laughs> it's not the same. It's not the same, and I you still have to concentrate in sure. order to to get because I I've done that before. Like I have an audio book that I listen to is anyway (laughs) but i found myself having to rewind it over and over and over again because i couldn't like i I have to concentrate the same way i would have to if i was reading it myself in order to absorb what i'm hearing it's not like i could like i can't work on the computer or do something like that and be listening to a book at the same time because i just don't grasp it right and it makes me mad because I feel like I should be able to, but I can't. <laughs> it's like I can multitask, and my brain is like, "Not with it's like, this." No. <laughs> <laughs> Try again, Sistrin. And I'm like, mm. "Okay." So we're gonna wrap this up with a guest question. So it's your turn to ask a question. Okay. All right. So I think I got a good one. Um, okay. So who would you cast alongside you on your reality show, and why? And it could be anybody. Like a so full like, cast or like, yeah, like a full cast, like, like pick like four or five more people to be on the cast with you on your reality show. <laughs> okay. So, uh, let's see. Mm, well, I don't even know what the premise of the reality show would be. Cause these characters are going to be a little all over the place, but I would definitely have my friend Nikki. Um, I like to call Greco thug Mrs definitely have her on there because she just she brings a level of sophisticated ratchet that i love (laughs) um i would have my friend candace from my other podcast ratchet ramblings because she is just a riot you know i feel like she would have people laughing all the time she would probably get dragged for being problematic but (laughs) (laughs) who is it who's not problematic you know um let's see who else i think i would have Ooh, this good question Mm. (laughs) uh let's see i think i would have kid fury okay um for obvious reasons (laughs) (laughs) i just want to say that like this this list of characters i don't even know what kind of reality show this would be 
Um, who else? Who else? Who else? Uh, I would have my friend uh, Dion because I feel like he is the the Ricky from Noah's Ark of all of the friends that I have. Okay. And I feel like nothing is complete without that. Per- you need that sex positive person to kind of spice everything up. <laughs> you know, you need that Samantha. Okay. And I say, I don't know anything about sex in the city except for that character. <laughs> um, so how many is that? Four? Something like, she said four. Something like four or five. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Cool. I, Good I, list. I think that would, that would work. And probably okay. maybe one or two more, but I can't think of them off the top of my head right now. Okay. So same question to you. Who would be cast alongside you? Yeah, you know what? I thought about this. I, I, I kind of had a hard time with that, too. I was like, who am I going to pick? Like, first of all, I mean, I would definitely pick my brother, Justin. Um, he is like, like, we grew up together. He's like a year younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we like, we're basically like twins. <laughs> Come on, twinning. So it's like, we just play off of each other so well. So I think that would be an interesting dynamic. Um and we and we get angry with each other real quick, like, and it's like explosive. So it would be like, you know, it would be a good little reality show just with the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I would pick. Uh, who else would I pick? I would. I, I mean, I guess I would go with. Um, I don't know. I would pick some other like celebrities and stuff, or some people that we know from these other shows. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, I would have. Um, probably like a nini somebody who's like nini at least i don't know if it would be nini herself but i would i don't know i think me and nini would would be good friends <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i would get her on the show i would get uh you know i we need we would need somebody who's like fiery or something mm-hmm. um I don't know like i didn't even think about this question for me so it's hard because i'm <laughs> and i'm thinking like who else does everybody else know? Um, but <laughs> nobody knows, knows anybody that I know. I would just pick, you know what I would do? I would get some of the most problematic Twitter people and put them in a house together. And Ooh. I would just sit back and watch. <laughs> That's what I would do. <laughs> Come on, Twitter Girls Club. <laughs> that would be that would be a good show. That would be a flaming mess. But I would watch. <laughs> I would be in you know what? We will cover it on Ratchet Ramblings. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> well, that's gonna wrap everything up. Yes! Jared, again, thank you so so much for taking time out of your schedule to hop on the show and talk about your writing and give your views on a few other things tell people where they can find you and your book and everything that has to do with you all right so the main my main website you can just go to jaredking.com and uh, my book is titled Pangea Unsettled Land you can find that on Amazon or Apple iBooks you know anywhere else where books are uh, sold and um you know that's print and ebook uh i also have two free short horror stories um for signing up for my mailing list uh that you'll get that automatically um 
So yeah, check me out at jaredking.com. And if you want to search for me online on any of my social media pages, just search Jared King or Jared D. King. You'll find me. Um, I also do, you know, as I said, like a YouTube show where I interview other black LGBTQ authors and the people that I do interview, I put on a, uh, a list on my website so that, you know, it's easier for people to go back and see their work. Um, and then I do my own podcast that I just started not too long ago, which is basically me just kind of giving my thoughts back and forth on my commute to work. Uh, so it's it's a nice little, you know, 20 minute maybe show um, if you want to listen to that. Um, and you can just search Jared D. King again. So, you know, just search my name and you'll find me. What's the name of the podcast? Name of the podcast is Jared D. King. Um, oh, okay. but, but the, like the segment that I do is called uncommuted. Um, so you'll find that on there. Um, but I just tried to make it easy for people to find me because, you know, so right now it's just Jared D King. I might change it. I don't know, but. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll search for it and put all of that stuff in the show notes. So again, thank you so much for shining your light right here on gay side stories. All right. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I really loved our conversation. Same. All right, you guys. So remember, go to GaySideStories.com. That is the hub for more information about the show. You can email me at GaySideStories at gmail.com. If you have something to say, comments, concerns, questions, suggestions for show topics, if you want to be on the show or if you want me on your show, all of that can go to that email address. Follow, interact on social media, like the Facebook page. All of that is all over the place. You guys should know where you can find me. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you have not already, take a little time. Go over to Apple Podcasts, even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, and leave a rating. And if you really want to do something special, then go ahead and write a review. That would be outstanding. Make sure you guys are sharing this show with others. Word of mouth is still the best way to get things out there and grow and create a community and reach a bigger audience. So again, you guys, thank you for listening. And as always, make sure that you are protecting your walls. They will crumble. I keep saying that and I keep seeing examples of crumbled walls all over the place. So I'm just saying, make sure you're protecting them and I'm out. See you guys in a few weeks.